Good morning to you. It's fun to be back here at Waterford. Uh, last time I was here, I made it through the 9 o'clock, and then I, I got ill, and uh, 11 o'clock got me on uh, on video. So um, I promise I'm going to stay around. I think this I'm pretty good to go for, uh, for this one. So I'm glad to be back. Uh, we're in this series uh, called Undone. We're looking at the seven, what, what's traditionally called the seven deadly sins, and then we're doing the corresponding virtues. And um, if you're like me, every time I've heard a sermon in this series, going, okay, now what are the seven? And so let me just remind you what the seven deadly sins are. They're sloth, lust, gluttony, wrath, envy, greed, and the one we're going to talk about this morning, pride. And then we'll do the, we've done the corresponding virtues the following week, which we'll do next week as well. So uh, you get to hear the sermon on pride. Of all the seven deadly sins, I think today we're going to deal with the one that I know I battle and I think all of us battle. We all battle from time to time with this sin of pride. If you already asked the first sin recorded in Scripture, what, what's, the, what's the first sin recorded in Scripture? It's Adam and Eve, but the actual chronological first sin is not the sin in the Garden of Eden. Uh, Isaiah chapter 14 tells us that God created uh, in, in, in his power and, and his omnipotence created beautiful spiritual creatures and the highest of these creatures was a uh, being by the name of Lucifer. And Isaiah says that uh, Lucifer, uh, predating the creation of the earth most likely, uh, came to a point in his existence where he uttered these ominous words, I will be like the Most High. I will be like the Most High. And uh, with that, the sin of pride came into existence, and uh, it has its deadly roots in the poisonous soil of comparison. A lot of people have made statements on pride. I, I, here, here are just a few that I found. Joseph Addison said, there's no passion that steals into the heart more imperceptibly and covers itself more, with more disguises than pride. Sometimes we don't know we're there when we're there. Daniel Defoe, the author of Robinson Crusoe, one of the great novels uh, uh, of the 1800s, a, a, a spiritual Christian novel, actually. He said, pride is the first peer and president of hell. And C.S. Lewis, more poignantly, says pride is the national religion of hell. G.K. Chesterton said, if I only had one sermon to preach, it would be a sermon against pride. And Scripture, of course, talks quite extensively about pride and, and um, what it causes, especially through the, the book of Proverbs. Proverbs 6, 17, uh, seven things that God hates. The first one is prideful or haughty eyes. Proverbs 11, 2, when pride comes, then comes disgrace. Proverbs 16, 18, pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall. Proverbs 29, 23, pride brings a person low. So pride, in essence, says this, I don't need you. I'm better than you. I'm more important than you. Adam Collier says that the pride of life is a self-confident comparison, a self-pleasure in one's own life. So I'd like us to sort of dive into that topic a little bit and, and see a little bit of, uh, of its aspects. Uh, and I want us to look at a passage in 2 Kings. If, you, if you, you, you have the Bible app on your phones, you can go to that 2 Kings chapter 5. If you have your Bibles, you can open or you just 
listen as I read this passage. And uh, as I put this together, I'm not so much did this as a sermon for you all, as it's a sermon for me. Um, and uh, it, was, it was quite revealing as I went through this and, and, and had to examine my own life. And uh, uh, a sermon on pride is one that, that I think is, is um, uh, diff- difficult, easy to put together, is difficult to apply. So this is sort of a sermon for me. I think I've done pretty well so far, don't you? No, I'm just kidding. That's a... 2 Corinthians 5, verse 1, we're going to look at a man in a predicament. Now Naaman was commander of the army of the king of Aram. He was a great man in the sight of his master and highly regarded because through him the Lord had given victory to Aram. He was a valiant soldier, but he had leprosy. Now bands of raiders from Aram had gone out and had taken captive a young girl from Israel, and she served Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, if only my master would see the prophet who is in Samaria, he would cure him of his leprosy. Naaman went to his master and told him what the girl from Israel had said. By all means, go, the king of Aram replied. I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So Naaman left, taking with him ten talents of silver, 6,000 shekels of gold, and 10 sets of clothing. The letter that he took to the king of Israel read, With this letter I am sending my servant Naaman to you so that you may cure him of his leprosy. As soon as the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his robes and said, Am I God? Can I kill and bring back to life? Why does this fellow send someone to me to be cured of his leprosy? See how he's trying to pick a quarrel with me. Verse 8 When Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his robes, he sent him this message. Why have you torn your robes? Have the man come to me, and he will know that there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman went with his horses and chariots and stopped at the door of Elisha's house. Elisha sent a messenger to him, saying, Go wash yourself seven times in the Jordan, and your flesh will be restored, and then you will be cleansed. But Naaman went away angry. He was in a rage. Naaman, a great man of this era. It's about 850, 840 B.C. Uh, There's a kingdom north and east of Israel called Aram. Uh, It sort of transitioned into uh, the the Assyrian kingdom, and Aram was a powerful force of that day. Naaman was the number two man in this kingdom. He was the general. He was the one who led the armies, and uh, he led uh, the army of Aram. Uh, If you look back in 1 Kings chapter 22, Ahab, the most wicked king that Israel had in their history, was in a battle, and uh, he was killed in this battle. Naaman led those forces against Israel, so he was revered, uh, his name actually meant pleasant. Uh, I mean, there was nothing in this man that, that, that was deficient. He was a, uh, a man that, uh, like verse says, he was highly regarded, number two in the kingdom. Only the king was greater than he was. If anyone had a right to pride, it was Naaman. He was wealthy, he was powerful, and he had prestige. Three things I see, though, as Naaman struggles in, in this dilemma that he's in, uh, and it's the dilemma of, of pride. 
three aspects of it. First of all, is the pride of self-sufficiency. The pride of self-sufficiency. The, the, the statement that says, I can do it myself. Naaman was a man who could take care of himself. He, he, he was successful in everything he did. He was wealthy. He had all these things going for him. But that one phrase in that first verse, but he had leprosy. But he had leprosy. When I was late in high school and, and, and into college, <clears throat> the best singing group of that time, and really that ever has been or will be, is Simon and Garfunkel. Just in case you want to know, that's true. And uh, you can take it to the bank. Uh, Simon and Garfunkel, wonderful songs. One of the, one of the songs that, that uh, hit the top of the charts was a song called I'm a Rock. And uh, I used to love, I still to this day love this song. It's a, it's a song that, that was beautifully sung, beautifully written, and it went like this. A winter's day in a deep and dark December. I'm alone, gazing from my window to the streets below on, a, on the freshly fallen silent shroud of snow. I'm a rock. I'm an island. I built walls, a fortress deep and mighty, that none may penetrate. I have no need of friendship. Friendship causes pain. It's laughter and it's loving I disdain. I'm a rock. I'm an island. Don't talk of love. I've heard the words before. It's sleeping in my memory. I won't disturb the slumber of feelings that have died. If I never loved, I never would have cried. I'm a rock. I'm an island. I have my books and my poetry to protect me. I'm shielded in my armor. Hiding in my room, safe within my womb, I touch no one and no one touches me. I'm a rock. I'm an island. So, okay, boomers, what are the last two lines of that song? Do you remember this? Oh, it's beautifully sung. Because a rock feels no pain and an island never cries. That's not a beautiful song. It, is, it, it always grabs me. It's just such a beautiful lie. Because there is no such thing, ultimately, as self-sufficiency. It all fails. It all leads to futility. And fast forward to the New Testament some 880 years later. Jesus, before he begins his ministry here on this earth, goes into the wilderness. He's led by the spirit of the wilderness. At the end of this 40-day fast, Satan visits him. The first thing Satan tempts him with, as Jesus is now probably in the pangs of, of, of hunger, close to starvation, Satan comes and says, see those rocks? See those rocks? If you're the son of God, you could turn those rocks into bread. Let's, let's see you do it. Let's see you feed, feed yourself. It, it's the temptation to self-sufficiency. And Jesus responds by saying, man shall not live by bread alone. And he doesn't succumb to that temptation. Naaman, this powerful man, he had it all. But here's the thing. Naaman could not heal himself. Naaman couldn't heal himself. The I don't need you didn't work here. But he had leprosy. Pride of self-sufficiency. Second thing I see is the pride of substance. Pride of substance, I have more than you. I have more resources than you. 
He's a wealthy man, a man of substance. He brings with him to Israel to award uh, the person who's going to cure him this vast wealth. And, and uh, scholars said this, this the, the silver and the gold probably amount to, in our dollars today, probably well over a million dollars, about a million two hundred thousand dollars. He just brings this. And it's an entourage. He just doesn't ride a horse there alone. He's got chariots. He's got horsemen. There, there's, there's a parade, a procession. It, it, it's impressive. And he shows up to the king of Israel, and the king of Israel quakes in his boots because here's a powerful man. He's saying, I need you to cure. And he goes, I can't do this. But all of Naaman's wealth didn't heal his disease. Years ago, several years ago, I, I was counseling a young couple, uh, both in their 30s, very attractive couple. They had some dealings that... Uh, uh, with their family of origin and, and uh, some things they wanted to work through, and, and I was able to help them do that. Uh, but I found out a little bit about them. Here they're in their 30s, and, and uh, he had, had started three businesses by that time. He was like 35, 34, 35, uh, was, was very successful in all his businesses and, and, and was, you know, and, and just sharing all this with me. And, and you know, I thought to myself, as, as he was sharing one day during a time we had together, where was I? And all this entrepreneurial uh, stuff was handed out. I'm at the back of the line. Where are all these people successful? Sort of led me into another sin, the sin of envy. But, you know, it's easy to get a little bit prideful when you're successful. We worked that through, uh, whatever the issues were. And about five years later, they returned to my office and uh, came, came in and asked how they were doing. They were doing fine. But uh, they related that every bit of their wealth that they had five years earlier had vanished. Economy had a downturn. His business had suffered. Substance doesn't carry us the whole way. Having more doesn't do it. Stock market, I don't know if you know this, the stock market's gone down lately. My 401k is now a 40k. And uh, it's interesting how that sort of fades away, isn't it? One of another of Satan's temptations to Jesus, as he said, I, I'll tell you what I, I'd like you to do. I'd like you to, and he shows them all the kingdoms of the earth, all their, their great wealth and power and majesty. And he says, I'm going to put you over those kingdoms, and you just have to do one thing. You have to bow down and you have to worship me. It was the temptation of the pride of substance, I, 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 I have more resources than you do. And Jesus responds, he says, you, 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 you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Does not succumb to that temptation. Pride of self-sufficiency, pride of substance. And then there's thirdly, the pride of superiority. I'm better than you. Naaman went away angry after Elisha came. Can you imagine? Here's, here's Naaman. Elijah, Elisha probably just doesn't have a, a real fancy house. But, and you can imagine this, this entourage coming to his house, chariots and horsemen. And they're looking for Elisha as they find it, comes to the door, knocks on the door. Elisha's servant answers it. 
goes to get his master, and, and, and Elisha doesn't even come and doesn't greet him personally. He just says, go wash seven times in the Jordan, and you'll be taken care of. Verse 11, Naaman went away angry, said, I thought that he would surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God, wave his hand over the, 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 the spot in my skin and cure me of my leprosy. He goes away in a rage. You know why? Because he's a superior man. I'm better than you. What is it with me wanting to be superior all the time? I play tennis. I play tennis with a group of men for past almost 15 years. We, we play on Wednesdays, and, and we enjoy it. Um, but I will tell you, I've never rid myself of, of, of this weakness in my character. When I play tennis, I need to win. I just want you to know that. In case you ever happen to play me, I need to beat you. I'm 70 years old. Who cares whether I win or not? I care. You know, we play, we'll go back and forth. Hey, that was a good point. It's not a good point if I didn't win the point, right? Oh, we play for fun. And no, I, I want to beat you because I want to be superior to you. It's the sin of pride. Naaman's in a position of power, commander of a great nation. It didn't get him where he wanted to go. I'm better than you. Didn't work. Naaman's importance didn't mean a thing. The third temptation that Jesus had was Satan coming to him. He takes him to the top, the pinnacle of the temple, and he says, okay, Here's what, here's what Scripture says. Throw yourself off this, uh, this great height and uh, let's see if the angels come because it says that the angels won't allow your foot to be, to, to be dashed onto the ground. Let's, let's, see, let's see if you can really be saved by, by other spiritual beings. It's the temptation of superiority. I'm better than. Jesus, Jesus resists that temptation as well. So, the conclusion that I'm reminded of in this account through Scripture is self-sufficiency doesn't work, substance doesn't work, and superiority ultimately doesn't work either. Self-sufficiency, here's what I found. Um, you cannot do it yourself, not ultimately. All control is an illusion, A good friend of mine I've known for years, he's, he's a good man, and he has a good heart, and, and uh, he's uh, been through some things that have, that have been challenging in his life, and, and uh, we, were, we were talking about uh, some particular challenges he had with an adult son and uh, some of the difficulties the son was going through. It was, it was pretty dire. And he, after we were talking for a while, he looked at me and he said, okay, I want you to be on, really honest with me. And I want you to tell me where I went wrong as a parent. Where, 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 did I, where did I fail as a parent? What did I do wrong? Now, this is, this is one of the finest people I know. He, is, he walks with God. He has a good heart. He's, he's got his priorities straight. And it, it, it's one of those questions where you go, oh, 
uh, I don't know how to answer. Then I said, oh, I think I've got it. I said, I think it was your sin. He sort of looked. He goes, really? I said, yep, I think it was your sin. Uh, I think it was the sin of pride. He said, explain that to me. I said, it's the sin of pride of thinking that you could figure it out, and once you figured it out, you could fix it. You've got all the systems down, and you do those things, and it's going to be okay. It doesn't work that way. So the sin of pride, the sin of self-sufficiency. He looked at me, and he smiled, and he said, I think you're right, and we're still friends. I think that's good. I, if we can just sort of figure it out, if we can figure out the system, if we figure out what God wants us to do so we can have things turn out our way, isn't that, aren't we all tempted to do that? And then we just tip over into this sin of self-sufficiency. Oh, I'll do it this way, and then God is required to do it. No, God does not work that way. Pride of substance. Here's what I found out. My resources will be taken from me, and they will not help me. They will be taken. One day, I will die. My wife and I have all of our deep conversations about between 5 a.m. and 6 a.m. This is what old people do. You know, we, we talk then. And um, it's 5.31 one morning. I was sitting uh, in, in our family room. My wife came in. She said, I have a question for you. Who, who will miss you most when you're gone? It's, it's 5.30. I don't want to think about that. I don't, what a question. Who's going to miss me most when I'm gone? And, and these questions, as you get older, get a little bit more serious. I, I thought getting older would, would take longer. But it's, uh, here I am. And uh, we talk through, and we try to, I said, well, will you? We, yes, I'll miss you when you're gone. Okay. It's all going to go. It's never really ours anyway, is it? Steve Jobs, the founder of Apple Computer, died relatively young, pancreatic cancer. He made this statement a few months before he died. He said, remembering I'll be dead soon is the most important tool I've ever encountered to help me make the big choices in life. Because almost everything, all external expectations, all pride, all fear of embarrassment or failure, these things just fall away in the face of death leaving only what is truly important. Your resources will be taken away. What about the pride of superiority? Here's, here's what I found. I'm not superior to anyone, and neither are you. We're all on a level playing field before God. The comparison game ultimately fails. couple months ago, I was going through my email one morning, and uh, there was an email from an organization called Best uh, uh, Orlando Awards Program. And uh, they, in this email, communicated to me that uh, the counseling center that I started 20 years ago, uh, they, they deemed to be Best of Orlando in 2019. Now, I'd never heard of the Orlando Awards Program. 
I didn't know that they existed, but they claimed that uh, they had they had gone through uh, all the counseling centers in the Orlando area and that they came and said, mine was the best of 2019. And there was a press release. And look, I thought, is this really, you know? And then they showed me this. There's this beautiful glass, best of Orlando, Karis, uh, Karis Counseling Center. There's our name of our organization right there. And uh, I thought, wow, that's really great. Now, you had to pay to get that plaque, right? And there was another, there was another uh, uh, plaque that you could get in addition. And uh, boy, I looked at that and I said, I'm getting that plaque. That's going to be in my office. I want to be best of Orlando. Now, you might tell me later the Orlando Awards program uh, is, is not on the up and up. Please don't tell me that because I don't want to know. I love being the best. And here's, here's the thought. This is how I struggle with my, I thought, hey, I wonder if we'll get the award next year, too. I, that's not my business. That's God's business. I didn't do that. I work with wonderful people. This temptation of superiority is always there. I want to be the best. So how do we combat pride? What do we do? Well, you have to come back next week for that. It's humility. But I'm going to give you a little bit of a little bit of advance encouragement here. But I will tell you this. Topic of humility. We will enter into humility either willingly or unwillingly. We will all come to a point in our lives where we will fully experience humility before Almighty God. Apostle Paul, as he's writing to the Philippians in chapter 2 of, of, of this beautiful and joyful letter, talks to us about who Jesus is, and, and he does it in poetic form. This is actually Paul's poetry or his hymn. Verse 5 of chapter 2, And your relationships with one another have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who... Being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, here's our word, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that in the name of Jesus every, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Let's pray. Lord, I'd ask that you would examine my heart, and I pray that uh, each person here, each man and woman, you would give them the privilege and, and the wisdom to examine their hearts. I pray that you would um, 
not allow me to succumb to the sin of pride, self-sufficiency, substance, superiority, but you would allow me and us as a congregation to understand the humility of our Lord and the graciousness that he showed in his life and his death and the power that he exhibits in his resurrection. I ask, Lord, that you would allow us as a church to understand that you are the one who is in charge. I pray that we would yield control to you and that we would understand more fully what it means to follow you in love and, yes, in humility as well. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.